Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Greetings, Spice fans. Silk City Hot Sauce is now sponsoring the Dorkening Podcast Network. Our craft sauces are made in Vermont in small, high-quality batches using locally sourced, farm-grown ingredients. Silk City Hot Sauce comes in a variety of heat strengths and killer flavors like Jezebel, Erotic Fever, Mango Madness, and Good Morning Jonestown. And don't forget our newest creation, Hot Syrup. Make no mistake, Spice fans, this is the queen of sweet heat. There's new and unique flavors coming out all the time. Best of all, right now, listeners of the Dorkening Podcast Network can go to SilkCityHotSauce.com and use coupon code DORK. Not only will you get 20% off your order, we'll also throw in a free bottle of hot sauce. That's SilkCityHotSauce.com. Coupon code DORK. Hi, this is Rigor, and you're listening to The East Meets the West with my co-host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. This is the show in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. Today, we're going to cover the Venom film, Legend of the Fox, from 1980, and the 1966 Lee Van Cleef Western, The Big Gun Down. So, how's it going, Pat? Uh, it's going pretty well. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be back doing this. It had been a while, and... Uh... You know, I was thinking I, I want to. I've been working in movies, and you know what? I want to make a western. I, I I think it would be a lot of fun. Nice. I I would love to do that with you. <laughs> I, did, I, I did see one earlier this year that I highly recommend. If anyone uh, and it is getting a sequel, if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, the Ballad of Sharkosaurus. I highly recommend <laughs> uh, seeing that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I know it seems ridiculous, but they built a 14 foot animatronic shark that walks around. And uh, to me, for a low-budget short, that is the height of getting the most out of your budget. I would imagine. So, <laughs> I, uh, I'm 100% on board. Everybody should see The Ballad of Sharkosaurus. It's a quality Western film. It, it really is. I mean, it's no The Last Gun Down. Uh, right, the, right. But a big gun down, sorry. It's, um, <laughs> I'm so used to these being like the last something. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Have you seen The Borrowers with Clancy Brown? I have not. Oh, you're going to have to check that one out. That's a more modern Western. It's from a couple of years ago. 
Well, when I say a couple, it's probably between 2010 and 2020. I forget what year. But yeah, it's about it's it's kind of like without being so over the top, it's kind of like Tremors meets a western. I mean, I would consider Tremors a western. Yeah, yeah. But this is like the old west and there's these things under the ground and then like uh, oh, you, you just got to see it, the burrowers. I in fact, we I should probably cover some, that. We should. Uh I mean, I do love me some Clancy Brown, so Oh, yeah. You know, I I messaged him earlier last year about being on the show and they were like, "Oh, well, Clancy Brown's all booked up for the year for for doing um, you know uh, uh, what do you call it press and uh, so yeah I mean he's he's a big star now he's Marvel he's DC like he's a big star like he can write his own ticket so and I always thought he was just the Kurgan so <laughs> yeah I mean I mean I think my first introduction to him I mean I know this isn't our topic today and we're getting way off yeah track. we are <laughs> right. uh, uh, Shawshank Shawshank oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And that one line about the colossal prick even managed to sound magnanimous. Like, <laughs> you know, and fun fact, he's fucking Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> oh, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? <laughs> Brown. Like, again, this is a dude that, like, he can do any, like, Oh, I'm Mr. Krabs in a kids show. I'm also the giant god Surtur, and I destroyed all of Asgard in uh, Thor four or three in Ragnarok. Like, unbelievable. Oh my god! I know it's so funny. Like for me, well, it was funny because when I saw him, he was the Kurgan in Highlander when that came out, and then. A couple years later, there was a movie called Shoot to Kill with um, Tom... uh, I want to say Tom Bergeron. It was um, Tom Berenger. And uh, when I saw uh, Clancy Brown's name in the the credits, I was like, oh, he's the villain. And sure enough, he was the villain in the movie. (laughs) And the whole thing... Spoiler alert. The whole thing was like you didn't know who the villain was. (laughs) Well, certain guys you always know are going to be the villain. Like... Anytime there was like a guest star on Columbo, it's like, oh, I wonder if he's the bad guy. <laughs> it's like, oh my on. God. All right. All right, Pat, here's a trivia question. Who is the only villain on the Columbo show that Columbo could never actually bag or catch? Uh, see, I don't know, but I know my mom would. My mom loves Columbo. But if I were to guess. Uh, if you want to hit, let me know. Yeah, give me a hint. I might get. I might get it. He played uh, the prisoner on the show, The Prisoner. Oh yeah, now I know. I can picture him, but not. And he was on The Simpsons when they parodied that same movie. Yes, uh, he was the, the king Mid-Director. in no. Braveheart. I can't think of his name. <gasps> Patrick McGowan. Oh, see, I should know that because we have. <laughs> you should know that. <laughs> yes, Patrick McGowan was on the on Columbo twice. And both times, I don't think Columbo was able to bag him. But you know what? Confirm with your mother, just so um, we know that. I'm actually writing that down. Columbo question. Yeah. Uh, Patrick McGowan is just amazing. We we share a, uh, well, she uses my Amazon account. So, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, do you want to continue watching Columbo? (laughs) She's like, of course. She's like, I, I would never stop. Like, if I didn't have to sleep, like, it would just be Columbo nonstop. Which is why it threw me off when I saw him in something other than Columbo. What, like the Princess Bride? Yeah, yeah. It threw me off. I'm like, what the hell is he doing there? I was also, like, <laughs> seven, so. 
Oh, well, that makes sense. Minutes. Yeah. I mean, he's been in tons of stuff. He was in uh, uh, Murder by Death, which I saw in the theater. And, um, oh, my God, I can't think. There's, like, so many. I mean, he was, oh, yeah, the, um, oh, what's the one? Him and Alan Arkin were in um, The In-Laws. That's a great movie where him and Alan Arkin are literally in-laws and they fucking hate each other, and it's hilarious. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. Like, I, I always thought he had a good delivery. Man, just one more thing. Just one more thing, yeah. <laughs> I heard a whole podcast uh, about him the other day, and they said he was, it was weird because he was very difficult to deal with on set, and what ended up happening was the, the longer that Columbo went on, the more power he wanted in control of the show. And it wasn't like a bad thing. Like he wanted to make the show good, but his ideas weren't all that good. So that's sort of what ended Columbo at, at the end because he had all these great ideas and then they kept going and going. And then after a while, the ideas were not so good, not so good. And even though he thought they were great, it turned all out right, Season 47, Columbo solves space crimes. <laughs> But it's not the Martian, it's the head of NASA. That's who's doing it. Now, Nathan Fillion, he's a good guy. He's going to be a more space cop shows. You know what I would have loved to see a crossover? What? Like, almost like a CSI type thing? Uh, Columbo and Quincy. Oh! Yeah, that would have been, been a great... Oh, great comp. man, that would have been really... I love Quincy. I, I love Jack Klugman anyways, and I always loved Quincy because of that. Oh, yeah, man. Jack Jack Klugman is in one of the best the best uh, Twilight Zone episodes ever. Him and Jonathan Winters when they're playing pool. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's a great one. Yep. Did you ever see the one? All right, I know we're way off tangent here, but who cares? We uh, will talk about westerns and 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 kung fu films in a minute. <laughs> we shall. It's been like a month since we've recorded. No kidding. We haven't talked in a long time. I think the last time we talked was over uh, Facebook, and we talked about air fryers. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, the last time we actually had a conversation was uh, a month ago at Rhode Island Comic-Con when That's we right. met for the first time. That's right, folks. If you And if you haven't seen it, look at the uh, Then Is Now Facebook pages because uh, we have a video out there, and uh, yeah. Pat and I are on there. But um, uh, now I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, um, I forgot. <laughs> I don't know, Klugman or something. Oh, Jack Klugman, the Twilight Zone. Oh, yes. One of my favorite Twilight Zones is the one where there's all the... It's I forget what it's called now. It's like five characters in search of a, a something or other. And there's these five people that wake up. One's like a, an army general. One's a ballerina. One's a clown. And then there's like three others. And they all wake... Oh, one's a hobo, I think. And they all wake up in this place. And they can't figure out where the hell they are. And the wall is like a circle it's like they they keep following the wall and it's this circle all the way around they can't fucking figure out where the hell they are and uh spoiler alert so if you people don't want to hear this fast forward 30 or 40 seconds um it turns out they're dolls yeah in, they're all toys yes in a in a um uh one of those drop the toy in the basket you know for charity kind of thing and mm -hmm. so they're all dolls but they wake up and they're like where the hell are we i friggin that's one of my favorite twilight zones i mean i have it's a so handful good. but oh my god we have to do a twilight zone episode oh my god we're gonna have to do a whole series on twilight zone <laughs> all right so let's get into what we're doing here 
We are the East Meets the West, and um, we're going to talk about Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. And first up is a movie called Legend of the Fox. It's also known as Legend of a Fox from 1980. I, th- I think I like the the the. You know, because it's like Legend of a Fox. I could be anybody, right? But it was like Legend of the Fox. It's like, all right, like if you were to say Legend of a Fonz, like <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it. It was the quickest and like most similar thing I could think of. Like if you said Legend of the Fonz, know exactly who you're talking about. That's exactly. Arthur Fonz. Know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> a Fonz. Oh yeah, my name is Jeff Fonz. <laughs> My legend's not all that fun, like, <laughs> but it's like, if you said the fonts, like, all right, I'm in for a good time. I'm going to, I'm going to see uh, Henry Winkler and like, we're going to see uh, some happy days stuff. It's like, no, 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 this is a <laughs> Ted great. Fonsworth, who's, Ted Fonsworth. <laughs> he was, uh, he was a, an accountant for, uh, you know, some multinational corporation and he exposed all their, uh, their tax fraud, and that's that's how he's a legend. But nobody knows who he is, but he'd be played in the movie by uh, by Jonah Hill. Played. By Jonah Hill. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making all of this shit. <laughs> but like, if you didn't know, you'd be going into it like, all right, all right, Fonz. I know who that is. What? Well, why the hell, is, why the hell am I seeing Jonah Hill? Like, <laughs> well, it's different when you say a uh, or the. Like if you were to say Legend of Madonna or Legend of the Madonna, like if you said the Madonna, like, all right, I'm going to see a religious movie. Right. That's what this is. But if you just said Madonna, it's like, all right, this could be a porn. (laughs) Hey, I didn't put out a book called Sex, okay? I'm just saying one of the two of us did. Wasn't me. It was her. So before anybody gets mad at me. Uh, and if you have um, irritating emails, just send them to uh, Bill Johnson at okay. Uh, <laughs> Ted Fonsworth at <laughs> JonahHill.com JonahHill.com Oh, Jesus. All right. We're uh, way off. All right. So tell us about Legend of the Fox. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to play the trailer here. And then I'm going to try to do the um, the funzo, I was going to say. <laughs> the um, synopsis. I don't 
I don't know. I don't know. I had troubles with the synopsis, and then I watched the movie, and I don't think it's the same. So I'm just going to read the synopsis, folks, and then we're going to go with it, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? So this film tells the story of a young man named Hufei as he escapes the rain with his uncle. Now, whilst they're undercover and Faye is looking after his sick uncle, a group of men walk in that Faye's uncle recognizes. He then tells Faye the story of how his father was killed. We learn of a challenge match between Faye's father, Hu Yidao, and the man with the nickname Invincible, whose real name is Miao Renfeng. After hearing some rumors, Renfeng challenges Yidao to, to a match, and after exchanging terms and formalities, they begin. But as things get late, they decide to get some rest and resume in the morning. The next day, they step out and fight again until night, when they go to bed with the intention of resuming the next day. Now, this continues on for a few days. Finally, the two become friends, and Ren Frang announces that Yidao couldn't have done the things he was rumored to have done due to his honest and moral conduct. But then, Ren Frang and Yidao spar a little more when Yidao is sliced by Ren Frang's blade and starts to die. Confused, as the cut was not normally fatal, they conclude that he was poisoned. Renfrang knows nothing and is incredibly regretful. Yidao then commits suicide and his wife does the same thing. Afterwards, Renfrang keeps his end of the bargain and decides to raise Fei, still a baby, as his own son. But some of the men, plotting against everyone, try to kill Fei before his uncle swoops in and saves him. We flash back to the future and we see Hu Fei as a young adult. He learns the last movements of Hu's sword kung fu and decides to take revenge for his parents. But things get complicated and this becomes much harder than originally intended. We then see a lot of sword fights and deceptions as each side tries to outpoison the other. So that was a horrible, horrible summary of the film. That's like the, a summary of the first, uh, not even third, the first quarter of that film, wouldn't you say, Pat? Well, I mean, the poison thing, I mean, I have a worse one. It tells the story of a man named Hu Fei as he escapes the rain with his uncle. Whilst they're undercover and Fei is looking after his sick uncle, a group of men walk in that Fei's uncle recognizes. He then tells Fei the story of how his father was killed, so Hu Fei decides to seek revenge on those people. That was it. That's the entire synopsis. I mean, it's not wrong. Right. Like there's a there's there's a happy medium between the two that we just listened to. Um I would say that's this plot was far more complicated than it needed to be. Right. Like the whole poison thing, like I get why it was introduced, but like it didn't need to be introduced. I would have preferred like a Zatoichi thing where he's like, I mean, cause he was already fighting blind. I mean, I will get there, but like, Oh, Philip Kwok. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I don't know. It was. Yeah. I mean, based on the, 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 based on the synopsis that we just both read, uh, that's legend of a Fox. Cause that's, <laughs> you know, a, a more, it doesn't have to be as concise as the one I read, but it doesn't have to be as like in depth as the one that you read, right? Because there's there's a lot of intricacies that like really take away from the plot. Like, I'm not like I don't watch the Star Wars prequels for all the political action. Like, it's like oh, this is great. It's almost like watching C-SPAN, but with Wookies. 
<laughs> as opposed to like what I watch Star Wars for, which is lightsaber fights and you know speeder chases and things like that. Like I watch Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films for the amazing choreographed fight scenes. Not that, well, you know, all these people betrayed each other 18 years ago tonight on a night much like this. And like, there's that guy who wants to kill this guy, who wants to kill this guy, who wants to kill that guy, but they all want to kill me because, oh, that guy cut my arm off and sliced my half my face off. But that guy's, oh my God. Like I'm taking notes. It's like, oh, and it's also the other thing because he did it twice and it drives me nuts. It's a good thing he told uh, Hugh Fay, who Fay, his dad's name twice, right. because otherwise, it's like, oh, he killed your father, Dad Fay, and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, he knows what his dad's name is. Like, are you telling us? And then you tell me again five minutes later, in case you forgot. Like, and he's like, oh, these are your arch enemies. It's like, how many arch enemies does this guy have? Right. It right. would seem one is too many. Like, you know, like Batman has lots of, he has a rogues gallery, but only one arch enemy. Like how many arch enemies can one guy have? And he's only 18. Right. 18 years old. He's got like six arch enemies. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot of backstabbing and, and, and this one's going after that one. But like this guy didn't know it, but he was an unwilling pawn. So it's like, oh, I'm sorry I did this to you. I guess I'll just jam my fingers into my eyes. I don't think that they're going to do this. Help him with a flower. Um, and you know how it was easy to tell who the bad guys were? Anybody with a mustache or a goatee. That's how you know. <laughs> Unless you were Philip Kwok. Yeah, but you didn't know that at the beginning. Right, right. When they introduced him, like, ooh, that's a bad guy. Look at his mustache. Ooh, that's a bad guy. He's got a mustache and a goatee. He's even worse. You know, it's funny because there was a lot of... Um... There was a lot of um, evil laughter and mustache swirling in this movie. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of like that over-the-top stuff, and yeah. it was like, "Come on, dudes, come on!" <laughs> oh my oh. god! And it was funny because you know this this whole movie there were so many like really like I, I I'm gonna go on record right now before we even get to the um first and last impressions which we didn't even do but the last impression I loved this movie but I was thoroughly confused throughout I had to go back in fact about a half an hour or an hour ago I rewatched the opening and it actually made more sense to me after having seen the film and then rewatching the beginning third I would say of the film of the third quarter um, it made a lot more sense. You know, it was kind of like Bill and Ted. Oh, that conversation made more sense that time. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you, re if you rewatch it, like, like my last note is so many subplots. Yeah. But it's like, if they didn't happen, it's like, oh, I have to bury my friend who sacrificed herself for me yesterday. But here are her ashes. Like, when the hell did you cremate her? I know. I like, did you do it on the way? Like, <laughs> Was you just like grab her corpse again? What are you doing? Oh, I just heading down to the you know the all night cremation. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, it's like the all night laundromat next door to the crematorium. And it's like, wait, what are we? 
oh, I, I got this nice vase. It used to have flowers in it, but, you know, he used those flowers to heal this guy's blindness. And thankfully, this is a cover to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got a I've got a lid on here. But it's like everybody. Yeah. Like you said, everyone's out poisoning. It's so many clouds. <laughs> and I will say this, though, having worked on films that rely a lot on uh, fog and fog wrangling the fact that they were able to get those shots and like the two different colored smokes kind of clashing with each other yeah. and making it seem like it was, this was brilliantly done. Like all joking aside, like for everything else that's going on in these movies that are like really weird to point out when you see like the, the conflicting contrasting smokes kind of like, colliding right and like they're two different colors yeah for that to have taken place in 1980 like that's that's really really impressive oh yeah yeah and it's funny one of my notes was you know um i forget the 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 guy uh chin su ho uh or i'm sorry hu fei and he's got the um the little thing and she says just blow that into their house and he blows like a whole fog machine worth of smoke out of this yeah, like tiny that. little thing. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, that's enough. As if there was more left. Right. <laughs> the worst thing would have been is if like instead of blowing into you, he's just like he, he uncorks it and he just goes, <gasps> oh <laughs> <laughs> he chokes before he can blow. Uh I did <clears throat> I, as I was taking notes. So we had the two guys, you know, with, with the mustaches and the goatees come in. And then a third guy comes in. I'm like, how many evil mustache right. guys are there? And everyone knows who everyone else is. Right. Everybody knows everybody. Right. The thing about the third guy, now, apparently he was a hunchback. But when they first showed him, I just assumed he had a backpack on. And then they showed him again later on. And I'm like, oh, he's got a hunch. I thought he had a backpack on. <laughs> Yeah, and then I wrote, this seems more like a vortex of plot convenience. Yeah. Yeah, that like like that whole segment. So, folks, there's this whole segment. By the way, if you get a chance, you're going to have to, um, I think Celestial Pictures has this on DVD now, so you're going to have to download this video because we're going to spoil the fuck out of this movie because there's a point where you see this guy and he's like, and that's the other thing I want to ask you, Pat. So everyone's calling each other brother and sister, and then the sister's like, oh, brother and I are married now. So I don't think the translation worked. No, I think it did. Because uh, if you watch a lot of these Shaw Brothers films, everybody's always referring to them to each other as brother and sister. But they're not, like, literally blood brothers. No, no, no. Like, you know, but if they're from the same clan, or, like, they consider each other family. Like, they're not literally like even during the duel scenes uh they're uh referring to each other as brother because they have so much respect for each other okay so they're but not they don't blood related they're they're just... no 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 it's not a it's not like a lannister thing okay <laughs> but this was uh it's, it's uh, i think i do think some of the translations needed some work like when the dude stepped in and started shooting ball bearings out of his, his slingshot there <laughs> yeah Chang Shang. yeah yeah and it's like hey if you interfere again i will have to ask you to leave right it's like <laughs> hey stop trying to kill the guy that i'm fighting and you know dishonorably 
or you're going to have to go home. Like, oh, I'm sure man. there was a much better line, but we just lost a little bit in the translation. Yeah, and Chang Shang was a dick throughout the whole movie. I mean, he ended up being the sort of the villain of the piece, wouldn't you say? Yeah, even I, Tian is a big old jerk. Yeah, like yeah, that was that was my note. Yeah, it was even worse than that. He was a dick. You know, there was one moment, and this is unrelated to anything, but when my son was young, he goes, hey, Dad, what's the difference between a dick and a jerk? And I said, well, a jerk is a jerk on purpose, but a dick is a jerk who doesn't know he's a jerk. Right, he thinks he's the right. He's in the right. Yeah, and he was a dick here. Oh, yeah, he's a total dick. Uh, but I think he knew that he was a dick, so he was, like, yeah. super dick. Super dick. I was going to say, what do you call that? Um, <laughs> so, all right, back up a second here, Pat. So, didn't Tian, Chang Sheng, and uh, Philip Kwok's character, uh, what's his name, Rialto Renfeng? Renfeng, yeah. Yeah. Um, they believed that Lu Feng killed their father, right? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, me, I, keep call, I kept saying meow. <laughs> uh, uh, the golden face Buddha. Like, oh, did you see guy with the yellow face? Like, I didn't see anybody with a yellow face. Like, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> that again. Another another thing. It's like what? Um. But yeah, he. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know what he was doing. Um. <laughs> but he he was basically like, no, I didn't kill your father, you dumb bags. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, like they and he sent that whole letter, and then like you know it got inter interviews like tell him he's gonna need. I was like, that's fucking aggressive. Like this dude's definitely trying to start it. Tell him he needs three coffins, two right. big ones and a little one. Oh yeah, it's like all right, that's messed up. Because first of all, you don't need a little one. You could cram the baby in like down by the legs or something. Yeah, like and really, if you just get it a little deeper, you could just shove everybody into the same coffin. Like be economical. Yeah. Um, and that was Chang Shang who said that. Yeah, the uh, the one guy who came closest to killing the baby was uh, the uncle there, because yeah. he's like, "I'll save the baby," and dove into the ocean underwater <laughs> with him. <laughs> oh my god, that was one of those oh no moments because like they chopped his arm off. I was like, "Oh no!" And then he dived into the ocean with the baby, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> First of all, hot. I, sharks. Well, uh, depends on what which part of the ocean you're in, but yeah. Well, sharks in general, or any <laughs> other predatory fish. Second of all, you have to hold the baby above the water and also propel yourself. Right. He did not think that through, but I I get it. But he got he away. Was diving into trying to get away. He was trying to not be. Dead. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I would have, I would have tried to do something different. Like, oh, I know, I just lost my arm and I'm in shot. Like, that's something you need to take care of. That's not something like a pleasant swim will take care of this. Well, the no, salt you... ocean will take care of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, salt water is good for your 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 cuts and bruises. <laughs> What about the fact that you left your arm on the beach? Like you're bleeding out. <laughs> you know what the most unrealistic part of that entire sequence was? What? When he cracked the guy with the vase and it didn't break. 
I was going to mention that. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that they used an actual baby and they didn't want shards of pottery raining down on a newborn. Okay, that would make sense. But then, uh, what's his name? Yu Taiping is like, his eyes are open, but yet he grow he goes on to be like this, like, uh, leader of whatever the cult that was, you know? Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a bunch of weird, weird stuff, so... I mean, again, stuff. I don't, I don't speak Mandarin. I wish I, I did. Uh, yeah, because I wonder if the translation would have been much different. I was kind of hoping for both dubbed and subbed, so that way, like, we could get that that difference. Yeah, but yeah, unfortunately, no. But that's that's fine. Like, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've already been like ripping on them for. But at yeah. the same time, like, there are some great fight scenes. Oh, yeah. The thing about it is this movie was never released in the U.S. So there is no English dub. It wasn't until um, Celestial Pictures actually put it out on DVD a couple years ago. That's how we were able to get this copy to watch. But I did mention uh, Yu Taiping. He's, we always call him the pointy nose guy. So we know mm. who he is, you know, compared to the other guys. He's... This is the first time he's had a major part in the movie. And um, so we're going to have to start remembering his name now, Yu Taiping, moving forward. Because I thought he was really good in this. Even though, you know, he starts off as the doctor, but then he kind of works his way up to being sort of this warlord, would you say? Uh, that's that's pretty good. Uh, that's a... I mean, what else was he? He was kind of in charge, so... I mean, he was definitely uh, pulling the strings behind the behind the uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, but even in like the present time, he had the red outfit on, and he was sort of in charge of those dudes that waltz into those people's house at the beginning. And that was the thing. I'm I'm glad I rewatched the whole opening because the opening was confusing me because then we get to a point where um, uh, Chin Su Ho, uh, Hu Fei, the flying fox. He encounters uh, Ren Frang at a later point, and the daughter is still like, you know, what, eight or nine or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. wait, wouldn't she be grown up by now? And I got confused about the opening because the opening was there was a flashback, and then it was like wasn't a flashback, and it was I don't know, it was very confusing. But then I when I rewatched it, I realized, okay, so she actually is still that age. Because the uncle was telling him about his life, and so it all worked out. But it was it was very confusing in in the beginning. Oh yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. Like I'm, I, I, I had no idea. I was like, I don't know who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. Yeah. Everybody's dressed similar. Everybody's got the same hairstyle. Everybody's got the same, uh, you know, same hairstyle, same facial hairstyle. And it's like the only guy I can recognize. I'm like, okay. Uh, Hu Fei, the flying fox, also the bat, Batman, flying <laughs> fox. Bat. There you go. Um, the baby he, venom. That's that's the guy I need to root for because he doesn't have, uh, you know, Ming the Merciless uh, facial hair. Right, right. Now I don't know if you remember, but he was in Masked Avengers and Two Champions of Shaolin. And I um, do not recall that. Yeah, I don't either, actually. <laughs> But he did act with Jet Li 
in uh, Tai Chi Master of Master. I'm sorry, Tai Chi Master was the film, and Fist of Legend. Um, he's in a, a bunch of movies that we've covered, actually, including the Two Champions of Shaolin, the Rebel Intruders, and as I mentioned, Ma- Mast Avengers, which they actually hadn't made at this point. We kind of did that one out of order uh, in terms of the Venom films. But he is going to be in one of our next films, Ten Tigers of Quang Tung. So um, we're going to have to get used to seeing this guy. He's sort of considered the baby Venom in this. I get it. I can dig it. Yeah. And now, Lu Fang, if, uh, folks, if you haven't had a chance to check out our Facebook East Meets the West page, please do, because I posted an interview with Lu Fang. And um, in this, he said that um, uh, he was talking about uh, Hu Yi Dao, his character from Legend of the Fox. And he said he was more human than the other characters I've played. Oh, I'm sorry, he was more humane than the other characters I've played. I love the heroic relationship between my character and the righteous Miao Ren Fang, as played by my colleague Kuo Choi, a.k.a. Philip Kwong. Um, it was a different sort of masculine role than I normally played. Had it not been for director Chang's mastery, the interpretation might not have been as good. <coughs> so I thought that was interesting, considering one of our recent shows, people talked about how Chang uh, Che slept through most of his directing. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean that's that's come up a few times, but I mean, you know, whatever. You know, he's a busy guy. He's, he's tired. Right. He's you know I, what? Like twenty films a year. I can tell you from personal experience working on films. Uh, I haven't directed anything, but I've just been like a production assistant or a driver. You get exhausted, especially if you're like, like say the last film I worked on where I was uh, a driver. Call time is. 7 a.m., you got to be there for 6 because you have to bring people from crew parking up to set. Yeah. So you have to be there at 6. And if it runs late, like say it runs till 8.30, that's when filming ends, well, you have to wait till everybody's gone from set. Everybody has to break down everything. Then you have to bring everybody back to the set. So you have to get the, the camera people have to put all their camera away. The grip and electric people have to put all their lights and everything away. Everything has to get wrapped up. If it's raining or snowing or there's any type of like adverse weather conditions, maybe it rained earlier in the day and now it's mud everywhere. You have to make sure that you get all your stuff put away. So, you know, seven to seven turns into six to 10. And then you've got to go home. Right. Like you have to drive there. So if, if there was a uh, 7 o'clock call time, I'd have to be up at 4 in the morning to leave my house for 5 so I could get there for 6. And that's if it's 45 minutes away, if it's further than that. And then, you know, so you're working, counting the drive time and everything, 14, 15 hours a day. I mean, as a director, generally it's a little easier because, you know, someone's drive, picking you up in the morning, someone's driving you too. But you have to make sure everybody is where they're supposed to be they're supposed to be doing like give the guy a nap now and then you know yeah that's what you have a director of photography for yeah oh yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) you know what i just fight i'll i'm just there's a bug in my eyes i'm trying to suffocate him (laughs) good heavens (laughs) (laughs) but one other thing that uh lu feng said in that interview was he was talking about chiang shang who, uh, he, as we mentioned earlier, he plays the villain in this movie. And, um, you know, some of the reviews I've read said that he looks uncomfortable in this role. 
um, as he did playing the inspector in Mast Avengers. But Lu Fang said that um, Tian, I'm sorry, I can't say the name right. Tian Guai Nung, who was uh, Chiang Shang's character in The Legend of the Fox, um, it was a very good role for him. He was known for playing the non-serious parts, but he played a villain beautifully, particularly because his jovial personality is the total opposite to the character. And I have to say, I thought he was great in this movie as the villain. You know, you wouldn't expect him to be the villain, and it was kind of uh, unnerving because he's always like the wacky, goofy character. But he yeah. was great in this. Yeah, he's usually like a, a like, you know, this fun loving goofball. But yeah, and he was he was serious, and he was. I like the fact that he was a good bad guy. Like, that's the thing I've I've said about you know like comedic actors for many many years. Comedic actors tend to excel in dark dramatic roles. I mean, perfect example: Robin Williams. If you've ever yeah. seen uh, One Hour Photo or yes. his his uh appearances on law and order svu or oh, yeah. say uh even uh, uh awakenings you know like well, he was those... serious in that he wasn't the silly doctor like in um patch adams patch adams i was gonna say yeah no he was he was dark he was uh serious you know i think his serious roles were better sometimes than his comedic role i mean same goes for somebody like say Jim Carrey, like his darker, like the number 23 or yes. uh, Richard Pryor and some of his dramatic roles, like, yeah. you know, cause I, I think uh, folks like that comedy comes from a place of pain. Yeah. So they are able to excel. I mean, Robin got two Oscars, so. Right. And we've talked about Chiang Shing. He died young. He died painfully yeah. because he was, he was a painful, uh, not painful, but he felt uh, like a painful person, you know, and he was, it's too bad because he was so beloved, just like all these guys, Robin Williams and everyone that you've mentioned, you know, they're so beloved, yet because they're comedians, they have this pain behind them. Yeah, and, and again, that's, <clears throat> I think that's where a lot of their comedic, you know, frenetic energy comes from. I mean... How many of these folks have we seen overdose? You know, Chris Farley, Belushi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these guys, you know, or, or we we hear about them years later and it's like, I have, you know, unless you're somebody like, say, Carlin or Lewis Black, who you put all your anger and your rage or Dennis Leary into your your act and like right. that's part of who you are you know, you're able to expel that energy out into the world. You know, I think you're going to have, you know, serious issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I love Dennis Leary <laughs> from the same hometown as me. Oh, that's right. That's right. Worcester. Yep. Him and John Benjamin and Alicia Witt and, uh, several others. That's right. I forgot about that. You know, and it's funny because when the Kung, the Kung Fu boom was on the wane, uh, the Venoms and Chiang Che began to try to experiment with different types of films. And this is definitely a different movie than we've seen, with the exception of, and I, I hate to bring it up, but Shaolin Hellgate, with the exception of that movie, this movie is a real departure because in this movie you saw a lot more swordplay between the characters than we have before. 
And as we we kind of mentioned before, you saw a role reversal. Lu Feng was the good guy, and Chiang Shang was the bad guy. So I thought that's what made this movie really entertaining was because after having seen all the ones that we talked about, this sort of changed things up. Would you agree? Yeah. I will say, though, that the uh, one of the first things I thought of watching the uh, the very respectful duel uh, first of all, the very aggressive tea drinking, like that's like the most aggressively I've ever seen someone drink tea. <laughs> um, the uh, the other thing was they're so evenly matched and their matches kept going into the night and then they wouldn't sleep and then they'd fight again the next day and would go into the night. It reminded me of this late, two, I want to say 97, 98, there was a, a crossover between Marvel and DC and the two universes combined and a lot of these like heavy hitters were fighting each other. Was that and, the Amalgam universe? Yes. Yes. Okay, I remember that. Uh, and one of the fights, uh, the, it was to incapacitation. It wasn't to death or anything like like. Aquaman fought Namor the Submariner and in order to incapacitate oh, yeah. him he just had like a killer whale jump out of the ocean and land on him yeah like he incapacitated him um <laughs> Batman and Captain America fought and they right. fought for hours and hours and hours and hours and but wasn't it both... like Batman and Wolverine combined no that's what happened afterwards because okay. there was no clear winner so like whoever lost, like it was a bunch of, there was a Green Lantern versus Silver Surfer, Wolverine and Lobo, uh, Thor versus uh, Wonder Woman. No, right. Wonder Woman, Thor versus Shazam, Wonder Woman versus uh, Storm. Yeah. And Wonder Woman picks up Mjolnir and gets like the power of Thor. She's like, oh, with this extra power, I would absolutely win. But that wouldn't be a good victory, so I'm not going to use his hammer. Storm's like, all right, and just electrocutes the shit out of her. <laughs> uh, Catwoman fought Elektra. Um, who was the other one? There's a couple other, like, somehow Elektra beat Catwoman. It's like, nah, no, no. Um, <laughs> Superboy fought Spider-Man, and Robin fought Jubilee, but, like, they ended up hooking up, and, like, it was with Hulk fought Superman, of course. And, oh, of course. You know, yeah. Superman won by like punching him and having a mountain fall on him, and that like incapacitated him for a moment. But uh, <laughs> the Superman, I mean, the, the Batman Captain America fight was like the most evenly matched, and it just kept going and going. And neither one of them wanted to win. So, like, they were fighting in a sewer, and all of a sudden there was just like this rush of water. So, Batman threw a batarang and Cap threw his shield. And right. the batarang ended up like hitting Cap, but like Batman ducked the shield, and like that's how he technically won. And it was just like, yeah. And then when they merged the universes together, it was like, you know, Bruce Wayne, Agent of Shield, and like right. <laughs> Batman and Batman and Wolverine combined, and so did Joker and Sabretooth. Yeah, and the Punisher was it, in there somewhere. Yeah, I I don't remember all the different like combinations they did but i do remember him being dark claw like that was right the... right but he wasn't bruce wayne right it was like logan wayne it was like a yeah. different guy and like oh no it was like 
Bruce and Steve Rogers were like the same guy. I, I was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, I remember that. Oh my God. That was so long ago. Oh man. But I get your yeah. point. You know, these characters are kind of playing out of type and it was almost like, you know, Captain America versus Wolverine or, you know, Batman versus Captain America kind of thing with these characters. Yeah. Like, it, because it was so, not just the fact that it was so even, but it was because they were um, so honorable to each other. Yes. They were, um, they were very, like, cordial, respectful, yeah. and like, you know, even the, the, the end fight where it's like, well, I'll use your sword if you use my technique. That way, whoever wins, it's still a stalemate. And like, if I win, I'll take care of your kid. And if you win, like, you know, I'll take care of this for you. And, you know, it's... And that was the thing, an issue I had with the translation, because at least from the one I saw, it said both swords were covered in poison. But then um, they were shocked when it was only one. Yeah, so I was wondering if there was something amiss there with the translation, like they kind of fucked it up or something. Because... Oh, sorry. I think uh, um, they were trying to set it up so that uh, uh, who would would kill... um, um, Lu Fang, Chang, yeah, uh, yeah, Ren, Ren Fang. Sorry, uh, Meow. Right, um, and then they could go and kill him. Like, oh, we're avenging our master. You cheating bastard! You killed him, just the way you killed his parents or whatever. And, right. Uh, when they switch swords, it was like, oh, I will say though, um, one of the things I liked was the fact that it was a Chinese broadsword versus a Tai Chi sword. And we've talked about this a lot of times and you get to see the flexibility of the Tai Chi sword. Right. Um, which I really liked. Yeah. And that's, that's a question I had too, about the whole female blade and male blade, because it was only there in the first third. And then we never heard about it again. Yeah. I was looking, I was like, who's got the female, the what? Right. <laughs> yeah, and like what what do they mean by female blade and male blade? Does like one slide into the other? Right. Like, like I don't, in Hawkeye? Yeah, like I don't I don't get it. Like what's Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, there was a, a lot of things in this movie that didn't make sense and then you know, it was cool that we saw the, the servant grab um, uh, Lu Fang's kid. And as we said, he, he tries to get him to safety, loses his arm, but ends up in the ocean. That was one of those, oh, fuck moments. But what was funny, though, I have to say, at the very, very beginning of the movie, the, the subtitle says, Shang's Mansion, a rainy day. And it's clearly raining. It's like, duh. <laughs> it's almost like they took... Like the exact wording from the script, right? Like the description from the script. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. I was like, "Oh, like someone was explaining it, and it somehow made it into the movie." Right. All right. Exterior, rainy day. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't need that. Okay, Shang's mansion helped because with the translation, we didn't know who it was. Um, and then of course, Chiang Shang kicks like six guys' asses. 
which was great. But then, um, you know, Pointy Nose gang, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Philip Kwok comes in and Pointy Nose and his, his gang are afraid of him. And he's called the Golden Buddha, which I wanted to mention because they showed the flashback and his backpack says, Invincible in the martial world. And did I not want that backpack when I was in high school? What the fuck? <laughs> Where was that when I was in high school? <laughs> well, what I want to know is, like, was it a backpack or was it just, like, a thing he slung over his shoulder and just carried around? Like, yeah, whatever. I'm invincible. Fuck you. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't mean it to be boastful. It's like, it's on a gold fucking satin backpack that you sling over your back and you carry around with you everywhere you go. Oh, I didn't mean to be boastful. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> I didn't mean to be boastful, yet you challenged me with your aggressive tea drinking. <laughs> your aggressive tea drinking. And that's the thing, too. All right, so, in the, I mean, our whole conversation so far has been just sort of maintained to the opening sequence and I, I, I wonder if that's what the whole movie's about because everyone's talking about that. That's all the, all the, you know, uh, synopsis you can find are about this first third. But you know, the whole thing is, um, about the male and female blades and all that stuff. It's like I'll tell you. I, I think I, I think I know. I think like the the synopsis that I read that's like three sentences long. Yeah. I think it's because the plot gets so goddamn convoluted as you go along. It's like, oh, we knew that he'd get mad about like us talking shit about his daughter, so he'd rip up the 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 paper and then would definitely get poison in his eyes. And it's like <laughs> if he ripped it up. Like, what if he just got mad and crumbled it up and threw it into a fire? Right. Then, what? then that whole subplot about the kid like the king of poison. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, here's this manual. I'm like, what happened to the guy that got like turned super feral with the poison? Like, right. Twice, two different guys. Right. It's like, uh, if I jingle my keys, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like this, like even for one of these wacky kung fu movies, this went off the rails. Like. We saw a guy like, hmm, your sword is too light. I need to compensate. So he just snapped the top of his sword off. Right. As you do. Like, what? <laughs> well, that happened to him twice. You. No, but he snapped. He just took the top and, like, his sword. Lots of swords broke during this whole. Right. Whole oh, thing. yeah, yeah. But, like, I'm talking when he's like, he, he, he gives him the sword and he's like, oh, that sword's too light. So he just snaps the top of his sword off. Yeah. Like he's breaking off a piece of a candy cane to give to a kid. Like, how is that okay? Like, why? What? Like, oh, my sword's a little too heavy. Let me just snap a piece off. Oh, hold on a second. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you are that powerful, how is anyone standing up to you? All right. So this brings up a question. In the final fight, when uh, Philip Kwok goes up against Chang Shang, they both have their swords, and then, but they both also have another sword. And the other swords collapsed into nothingness. Do you remember that? Um, like the swords just went ching, 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 ching and fell into pieces. But then they still had their main swords. Yeah, I, I think what they did was they were trying to... Um, 
they were tr- like the the effect of was supposed to be them like crashing together and, and like breaking. Oh, okay. But it was just done in a really weird way. Yeah, because it was like, oh, the swords fell. Oh, but they still have swords. I was like, wait, what? And I, I didn't get a chance to rewind and see what the hell was going on. And that was another thing about this movie that really irritated me was the subtitles would go by so fast. I don't know if you had this issue, but I had to rewind quite a few times to see what the hell they were talking about because the subtitles would be on the screen for a second. And I'm a pretty fast reader, and I couldn't get it all. And it would yeah, go I away. I didn't either, but I was also watching it one and a half speed. <laughs> yeah, I got the, I got the gist of it. Yeah, but like I don't know, there was some there was some shenanigans going on. Like I had to rewind it a couple times. Like I did. I <laughs> I watched the last couple minutes uh, as I was eating a bagel with Ash uh, outside <laughs> the lab. And I rewound it so she. I'm like, like we, because we've talked about this on the show before. How, you know, sometimes you'll see movies making fun of how ridiculous and over the top some of the the martial arts action is in these, and some of the the things that they do. Yeah. When he cuts dude in half at the end. <laughs> yes. Get revenge on your father, and he like. The guy jumps in the air and he cuts him in half. I rewound it and like, you have to watch this. You have to see this. She's like, is that what you're talking about tonight? I was like, yep. She's like, what? I'm like, don't like, that's one of the, that's not even like top five most ridiculous things that happened in this movie. I yelled, oh my God. (laughs) I saw him get flayed in half. I... Uh, I couldn't believe it, but I loved the the cut that they did to it because it was definitely. You know what it reminded me of? What? You ever seen the Saturday Night Live skit where it's it's hosted by William Shatner and they're like, "Oh, the lost ending to It's a Wonderful Life," and John Lovitz is playing uh, Mr. Potter and they dump him out of the wheelchair and he, <laughs> and he's not even a cripple and they throw him over the desk and then like, they pull the dummy out and start throwing it around. <laughs> yes. That's what it reminded me of. I'm like, yep. He went from guy jumping in the air to cut this dummy in half. And the two halves went spreading far apart from each other. (laughs) Can we just talk about how if he doesn't get poison in his eyes, we don't have this 45 minute subplot of like the movie's an hour and a half. If this, if he doesn't get poison in his eyes. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's, and this isn't like, you know, today's movies where it's like it's two hours and 10 minutes, but 15 minutes of that is uh, credits. No, this is two hours and nine minutes long and it's two hours and nine minutes. Like the end of the movie right. you know, is the end. The end. Like, yeah. <laughs> like there's not another 10 minutes of credits that follows that. <laughs> so if he doesn't get the poison in his eyes, then he doesn't have to go and help the girl and. You know, then they have like the big duel and then he gets poisoned and she's like, oh, well, there is one way to do this. I have to die. I'll save your life by giving mine. And right. so he saves him. She dies. He cremates her on his way to his parents' grave, which, again, when and where uh, we have no specific passage of time. Right. Like everybody just keeps showing up at the same place anyways, because apparently there's only three places anybody can go in China. 
which is a huge fucking country. <laughs> but for whatever reason, there's only three places that these people can go. So he cremates her, has this very nice vase, and goes and she, his wife that she left the other guy like that whole thing was weird uh left the other guy to go be with the big jerk guy and she's like oh yeah let me tell you the secret far away from everyone and they take like three steps right yeah she's like she's like yeah let me tell you away from everyone else and they're still 10 feet away from everyone else and just slightly to the left you know it's it's like star wars when Han's like, we'll lose him. I know a few maneuvers. And he just kind of drifts over to the left a little bit. It's like, that's a sweet maneuver there, Han. Uh, great. Uh, and she's like, yeah, bury this, but like only dig like a couple of like halfway down and you'll find a sword behind the gravestone. Why is there a sword there? Right. Why would you be buried? Like, and he's digging a hole with his broken sword. Like, yeah. What? Well, she did say, I saw when they buried the grave and blah, blah, blah. And so she said, I saw them bury the sword behind the gravestone. Which, why was she there? I, like, I don't know. What did she know. need to be there for? Yeah. Yeah, that was the whole weird thing, too. And then she was like, like she had cheated on Philip Kwok with Chiang Shang and then became Chiang Shang's wife. But yet, Philip Kwok had her daughter. And that was a whole point, too, with um, the young guy, Liu, not Liu, but um, the young main guy was like, you couldn't even console your own daughter when she was crying mommy, mommy at the beginning of the film. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, I am in no way, shape or form going to, like, try to pretend like I'm some sort of expert on Chinese customs, but like roving gangs of people can just like, oh, we're out in the rain. We're going to go into your house and warm ourselves by the fire. Right. Don't worry. We'll just build our own fire in your courtyard. It's like, wait, what? There's like four different groups of people. And it's like, oh, watch out. There's some suspicious looking characters. Which ones? They all have evil mustaches. Like, they're all suspicious. Except that guy. But that guy is just like hiding in the shadows. He's not suspicious at all. It's like, wait, what? That guy's more suspicious than anyone. The other guy's like, we should rob these people. It's like, to thank them for their hospitality, let's rob everyone. It's, like, it's kind of a dick move. Like, yeah, yeah. Look at him. He doesn't have any money. Right. Look at his shoes. <laughs> so this movie is very different than what we've seen. I, I, I just want to um, end our thoughts on this movie with this one review I read online where it says, Weapons are relegated to basic swords. Although he doesn't mention the um, the dude that had the um, the saw blade swords, that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was almost like a, a, a or the guys with like the maracas. Like yeah. I don't know, what <laughs> but like they weren't very effective though. <laughs> no, they they look like it's almost like a balloon on a stick. Right? That I, that's an oversimplification, but it's like how effective like it. I think they're like hammers. Okay, all right. Like they're they're almost like they're they're hammers, but it's like they definitely weren't weighted, right? So they looked like wicked light. Yeah, so it's almost like oh, I'm hitting you with this like plastic pumpkin on the end of a stick, like that's, right. 
that's what the prop looked like. I'm sure like the actual, and I'm sure they're like, you know, like the outer edges are, are bladed or sharp or something, but it's like, man, like what? Everybody had swords except for like these three guys. And again, we got to see new weapons because we've seen those like balloon sticks before. Right, right. Uh, like the hammer things, but the uh, the weird looking, it's almost like if you were to weaponize like a foam hand. <laughs> With the finger. <laughs> yeah, so like around here we have, you know, because we have the Bruins, I'm, I'm, I'm out in Boston, so we have the Bruins and you can get like the foam bear claw. Okay, yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me of that. Okay, all right. You know, I'm sure there's other, like, you know, like the, the the Florida Panthers or the Carolina Panthers or, you know, some of the other, like, mascots that have, like, claws or something. And I'm sure minor league teams as well, you know, they might have something similar. But these were, for all intents and purposes, like, scary kitty claws. Well, I'm sure the Texas skill saws have those, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, and don't forget, <laughs> don't forget uh, the crazy pointy nail like the the little nail cones they almost right. look you know when you were a kid and you do put bugles on the end of your fingers right 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 uh <laughs> full of poison there's those that was new that was new and it's like oh and it's like oh sorry i got something in my oh poison it's like oh, i got something in my eye let me scratch it oh now i'm dead um <laughs> whoopsie yeah whoops well that was the thing i wanted to mention too is that this was with the exception of Shaolin Hellgate, because we keep kind of pushing that off to the side. But this movie, this was the first time we actually saw magic used in a film. And, of course, it was just that one subplot in the middle of the film, and then maybe when the girl used it at one point. But we really didn't, haven't seen magic in these movies so far, right? I wouldn't even consider this to be magic. Like, it's science. But the amount of smoke coming out of that little pipe and... The power that those the smoke oh, that had was, that was just ridiculous special effects. Like I, I would call that magic. I would say that's over the top special effects because if you were if you were to try to film like a tiny bit of smoke, like the smoke would have to be of like a ridiculous color. And we did have some weird colored smoke. Oh yeah, It'd have to be such a different color from the background in either to even show up, and the lighting would have to be just right. Like there's there's a lot that goes into it that you know i wouldn't again i wouldn't call it magic i would just be like all right that's kind of you know like when a guy does a a 25 foot high backflip onto a like narrow roof that that's obviously him jumping down being played in reverse well you know yeah. like those types of things it's that it's that's what that is okay as far as i'm concerned you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't consider it magic it's definitely a lot of uh like, because everything was science, like, all right, you know, so we have this poison and this is the antidote and here's the manual. And it's like, oh, I've got six manuals. You'll never know which one is which. It's like, we'll just take all of them. You're dead. Like, right. <laughs> this isn't difficult. Right, right. Oh, that makes sense. You know what? Actually, that actually makes total sense. So let me finish this review. It says weapons are relegated to basic swords and the carnage isn't as prevalent as usual. Even the final battle is lackluster, although we do get to see a dude chopped in half. That was Chang Shang, spoiler alert. Lu Feng only appears in the first 15 minutes or so. Chang Shang basically remains on the fringes of the action, sneering at everyone, and Kuo Choi himself provides more of a supporting mentor-type role to Qian Cao Cao. 
So those hoping for the usual Venom's camaraderie will be severely disappointed. But I disagree with that review. I felt that, as I mentioned earlier, and you and I have talked about, I loved seeing all the Venoms, except we didn't see uh, Lo Mang and uh, Chang Shang. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Sun Chan. We didn't see those guys. But I liked seeing these guys just in quasi-different roles. That being Lu Fang and, and Chiang Shang. They were, you know, opposite good guy, bad guy. I mean, uh, Philip Kwok was Philip Kwok. He was fucking, he could kick ass even if he was blind. He, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. He, he's the fucking best. Yeah. So I, I have to disagree with that review. I thought it was great seeing them. I will, I will say that, you know, where, where I do agree with them, it, it's not the usual, like, Hey, we're buddies and we're fighting side by side, you right. know? And like, there's that happy go lucky. Like I'm super good at everything. And like, we're going to do like crazy shit. And the first part of the movie is us showing off all of our amazing acrobatic skills because we're so fucking talented <laughs> and we're so uh, in sync and in tune with each other. Like that was missing from this movie. Well, it almost seemed at this point they didn't need to do. To, to, I'm sorry, they didn't need to do that. They've been doing the, that for the last few movies. Well, that it it wouldn't have fit with the tone of this film. That's what I'm so, saying is that they didn't yeah, need to it, do that for this film. Yeah. So, you know, while it, no, it wasn't there. It didn't need to be because this had like a, like a very darker. Like, when was the last time you saw like. You know, a guy get poisoned and his wife go, take care of my kid. I'm going to kill myself right, right. now oh my God. and orphan my orphan, my baby. It's like, what the fuck? Like, That's what I said. That, that was way darker. So if you had guys going, oh, boy, that's a wacky little thing there that just happened. <laughs> oh, let's run to the, the nearest restaurant and eat as much food as possible. It's like, that's some weird shit. Yeah. Like, that would be out of place. This was... Like, there wasn't comedy. There wasn't, you know, like, the closest it came was when she's like, hey, help me water my plants with all that manure. And, you know, Hufei's like, ooh, it's gross. Oh, it's manure. <laughs> you know, like, that was as close as it got. That's actually a great point that I hadn't considered, that they're really, that's the only comedy in this movie. There's not a lot of uh, funny moments. There's no slapstick to it. There's right. no like goofiness. There's a lot of you know respect and um, honor. Yeah, it's a it's a very honorable film, and not that the other ones aren't, but like this one definitely has a lot of that built into it, as opposed to like oh we're friends and we're gonna do wacky things and like throw dumplings at each other and right right like right. So, Pat, uh, final thoughts on this movie. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I would have enjoyed it more if the whole poison thing hadn't happened. Like, I don't... Again, that was like 45 minutes of extra runtime that, like, just took away from the movie. And it's just like, oh, there's more evil bad guys. Like, I think all that was that was there for was to just kind of throw a few things at the end and make it seem like hey, look at it. it's, you know, we have the two guys that need to fight each other will fight each other. 
And then this guy will still show off how good he is by fighting two people that have lost their mind and are just killing machines because some guy jingles his keys. Like, right, right. <laughs> um, most of the stuff was kind of wrapped up, but like in true style, like it ends very abruptly. Oh, yeah. I expected that. When the end came, I was like, oh, yeah, the end. And of course, that's what happened. I did cheer when uh, Philip Kwok jumped into the final fight. I was kind of well, waiting for it. Yeah, I was waiting for it, too, and I was hoping for it. And then when he came in, I was like, yes. Um, you know, it's like I really I, I actually I have to say I really loved this movie, even though I found it confusing at times and had to rewatch the opening. Um, I thought it was a good change of pace for the actors. It was nice to see them in different kinds of roles, like, you know, the mm -hmm. whole like we talked about the good guy, bad guy role. Um, I felt like I was engaged through the whole film. Um, again, I was confused quite a bit, but, um, I, I loved it. And if people can get their hands on this DVD, I believe it's on eBay. I've seen it on eBay and I think that's where I got it from. And I highly recommend this movie. Yeah, I, I dug it. Um, especially if you're a completionist and want to watch all the Venom films. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you get tired of seeing the goofy slapstick stuff. Throw this in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want something so off the wall like uh, Shell and Hellgate, which we won't mention again. <laughs> yeah, you're the one who keeps bringing it up. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, but yeah. So, all right. So, folks, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss The Big Gundown from 1966, starring Lee Van Cleef. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at GetDeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. 
So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Shark Bites, Shark Bites podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This whole area of outlaws is entirely at your own volition. Why, in Texas, you're more popular than Davy Crockett. She's been raped and stabbed to death. Do you know who it was? A Mexican, a young bomber called Cuchillo. Cuchillo Sanchez. What's the sense of us sending out a 30-man posse when we got one man who can do it all by himself? you down and kill you like the rotten beast you are. But what about you? They told you I was guilty right away you start running after me. You're the beast. Because you didn't even ask if it was true or not. I do know a lot. 
the one that says most of the world's two parts, the masters and the Pompeians. In my country, there was such a law. And no one ever know who wrote it, but we lived under it. Then one day, we listened to Juarez. And he said we should change it. Everybody should be nice, and people should stop hating each other, and let the Pompeians go free. But nothing really changed. So you started running again. What was the use? Because I always get stopped. From now on, you'll be the one who's hunted. And you'll find you had much more fun when you were the hunter. So here is the, uh, the the plot synopsis for 1966. Although, depending on where you look at it, I, I've also seen 67, but IMDb says 66. 1966, La Reza de Conti, uh, or The Big Gun Down. Uh, possessing a reputation for bringing criminals to justice, ready-to-retire bounty hunter Jonathan Corbett, played by the incomparable Lee Van Cleef, is summoned to a party by a Texas railroad tycoon, I almost called it raccoon, by the name of Broxton, played by Walter Barnes, whose daughter is getting married to a tool bag. Broxton <laughs> plans to see that Corbett should consider a Senate run, but not before doing one last bounty hunt. Broxton offers Cor Corbett his political backing in exchange for tracking down a 12-year-old girl's accused rapist and murderer. So this movie got dark real fast, who goes by the name of Cuchillo played by Tomas Milian, a Mexican who is fleeing back to his native land. Cuchillo, which means knife in Spanish, is the rascal's weapon of choice. They refer to him as a rascal. He is a suspected rapist and murderer of a 12-year-old. What a rascal. <laughs> Corbett expects this to be easy, even offering to do it as a wedding gift. Corbett sets out in pursuit of Cuchillo, who is not as dumb as he acts and who is rather crafty and vexes Corbett at every turn. Corbett pursues Cuchillo into Mexico, where he is arrested when a fight starts in a brothel, as you do. Broxton pulls strings to free Corbett from jail and intercepts him, hiring a gang of mercenaries to find Cuchillo. Corbett learns that Cuchillo is innocent and, in fact, the witness that Broxton's alcoholic son-in-law, Chet Miller, Angel de Pozo, was the rapist. Corbett misleads the mercenaries to confront Cuchillo with Chet himself. In the final showdown, Corbett provides a knife to Cuchillo to kill Chet, then kills Broxton himself. The two ride together from the scene before parting ways. Now, I just want to throw out some of the people that are in this, uh, including Nieves Navarro as yep. the widow, yep. uh, Fernando Sancho as Captain Segura. <laughs> Uh, I was waiting for him to show up as soon as I saw that he was in it. I was like, that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, and uh, Nieves did not look as good in this as she has in other films. Um, no, no, she was still pretty hot, though. I was watching this with my oh, wife looked, the other day, and I'm like, oh, that's good. a hot chick. <laughs> oh, no, she looked good, but not as good as the, what was it, the Ringo films? Where yes. She was the bad guy? Yeah, she was much oh, better yeah. looking in those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big fan of those uh the, the way she looked in those Ringo films. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, she was, uh, I will say, she uh, very much owned 
her uh, her sexuality in this. Like it's it's a, I was kind of taken aback by how confident she was. Although we'll get to it, there are some pretty weird like scene shifts between between uh, these different <laughs> different different uh, parts of the film. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, um, I watched this the other day. And, you know, Lee Van Cleve, it's like, oh, he's getting ready to retire. He's looked the same for 40 years. Right. The guy doesn't change his look. Like, he just, he sits out in the sun. His skin gets cooked. Yet he's somehow always pale. Um, Right. No, he's, uh, he always looks the same. Even in Escape from New York, he looks the same. Oh, yeah. He he just doesn't have a hat. Like Right. But like he looks the same, he acts the same. Like doesn't matter if he's a good guy, a bad guy, anti-hero. He always looks and acts and sounds the same. Yeah, absolutely. And this but was oh, Lee sorry, Van fucking Cleef. Like oh that's, yeah, that's all that matters. Lee Van fucking Cleef. We got made that. One, it made one point four four one billion Italian lira, which is how much in American dollars? Do you know? Uh, off the top of my head. No, but let's see. $1.441 billion. $1.44 billion. Billion, not million. Italian lira to U.S. dollars. I'm so sure right was, now. I'm going to, all right, I'm going to take a guess. 57 million American dollars. All right, let's see. Let's see. Let's open up currency converter. Uh, one, 1.441 god damn it it's giving me an ad like have you tried our currency ex- transfer no I don't want to do that <laughs> oh, it's not letting me do it exactly I have to type 1,441,000,000 uh, in the ass this is uh, $84,000 oh wow uh, so I mean that back then. Well, no, this is right now. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, comparatively, well, back then, yeah, I don't think it would have been worth the same amount. Like the Italian lira yeah. doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it's right, the euro. they're doing the euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it doesn't even exist. So just you know, throwing it out there. So eighty-four thousand. All right. That's if it's eighty four thousand in nineteen seventy uh, nineteen sixty six money. Yeah. Okay, that's respectable. Yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, so the director Sergio Salima, he started off as a film critic, uh, then he wrote a bunch of books about film history. He became a screen screenwriter, and then he wrote a bunch of Peblum films at first, uh, you know, sword and sandal movies, and uh, he became an assistant director. And works his way up to director. Um, he did, after this, he directed a few Policiotechi films, which are these um, violent crime films in the 70s, like Violent City with Charles Bronson and uh, Revolver, which I just saw recently, which is really good. Um, so we we covered some of those films, like Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. We covered that over on That Is Now. 
And uh, he did a bunch of uh, TV series toward the, towards the end of his career. He wrote more films than he directed. He also dabbled in Euro spy films, like uh, a couple of the Agent 3S3 films and uh, Requiem for Secret Agent. Uh, and he, uh, one of the Peblum films he did was called Goliath Against the Giants, which is really good, and uh, Triumph of the Ten Gladiators. So I, I have to say, I liked his directing style in this movie, and uh, I'm going to have to check out some of the other films that he's done, because... I, I really enjoyed this movie. I mean, he certainly, uh, you know, knew how to pick his leading man. If he's going from Lee Van Cleef to Charles Bronson, like Jesus. Yeah. Like, I mean, is there, like, is there much of a difference between those guys? No, not much. <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh, we're, we're, we're done with young Ryan Gosling. We're going to move on to young Chris Evans. Like, Oh, so the, the same guy, like, you know, or to use it. Sorry, Seth Rogen, you're not right for this part. We're going to bring in Jonah Hill. <laughs> there we go. Another Jonah Hill reference. Well, I figured I've got to, I got to tie, tie it together at the end there. <laughs> um, well, Salima wrote this along with a guy named Franco Salinas and Fernando Mirandi. Um, but the third guy that kind of coordinated on this movie was Sergio Donati, who also wrote Mission Stardust, which is, a, a, I believe, a spy thriller or Euro spy film. And uh, the other Western he did, uh, actually he did a couple of Westerns, Duck You Sucker, which we I think we will cover, and Once Upon a Time in the West, which we will definitely cover here mm-hmm. on the show, and the Rucker Howe film called Beyond Justice. Um, yeah. So uh, he also did Man on Fire with Scott Glenn and Joe Pesci. And he also wrote Raw Deal. So, Ooh. yeah, with Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, these guys, you know, they're not to be reckoned with. They've done a lot of cool stuff. Well, you've you've also left out probably the most prominent name, even more so than Lee Van Cleef. Music by Ennio Morricone. Oh, well, I hadn't gotten to that, but yeah, Mor- Ennio Morricone. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, just... What a great soundtrack, huh? I mean, this guy, again, and I know we've touched on this before, but it is a fucking crime that it took him until the year before or the two years before his death to get an Oscar for composing. Right, like, yeah. How is it? That he has done so many, like, even the synth work that he did on The Thing, yeah. which you're like, oh, that's John Carpenter. Nope, it's Morricone. The good, the yep. bad, and the ugly. Like, yep. how yep. many movies, iconic scores. Like, I would put Morricone up against any Mark Silvestri, James Newton Howard, uh, John Williams. Yeah. I would put yeah. Morricone against any one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyone. Oh, yeah. And that theme song was running through my head for like two weeks since I watched the film. I mean, he's just, he's just so good. Like I love Ennio Morricone and I love the fact that he, he got his, uh, he got his Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. That was so good. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, Lee Van Cleef, of course, always awesome. You know, oh, he yeah. was great here. And I love the fact that he was the good guy in this film. 
Yeah, I mean, you weren't sure what he was going to do, but you're like, all right, you know, I, I, I can dig it. Yeah. I can dig uh So, you know, it was funny, too, watching this. I didn't know that Thomas Milian um, was in a lot of stuff. I mean, he was in Django Kill, If You Live, Shoot. You know, he was in The Ugly Ones, Destruction Force, which is another Polizioteki film. Um, he was in several episodes of Miami Vice. The Equalizer, JF. He was in the movie JFK, uh, Traffic with Michael Dov- Douglas, and uh, his last film. <laughs> this is kind of funny. His last film was called Fugly, with uh, John Leguizamo. So I thought huh. that was kind of funny. <laughs> that is a that's that's a that's a movie that exists. Yeah, yeah. I never heard of it, but you know he's been in a ton of stuff. He was an American born in Cuba. He trained at the Actors Studio. He did a. Uh, uh, a few plays on Broadway. He did a ton of spaghetti westerns with Sergio Cabucci and uh, a bunch of Poliziotechis, as we mentioned. Uh, and some of those were directed by Umberto Lenzi, which you may or may not know is a horror movie director. So, uh, yeah, you know, Thomas Milian was in a lot of stuff. Let me uh, let me ask you something. Um, sure. We know that Cuchillo Sanchez is you know, a name that we heard. It's like, oh, the knife, Sanchez, or Sanchez the knife. Right. I don't recall, is this something maybe they just did for the the posters or the credits or whatever? When was he called anything other than Corbett or Jonathan Corbett, just as a quick introduction? I don't recall him being referred to as Colorado at any point. I, uh, I don't recall that either. So, well, wait a minute now. You're you're confusing me because you said um, uh, the knife, uh, Cuchi. They call Cuchillo. They called Cuchillo. him Sanchez the knife at the beginning. Right, and that's the bad guy. But Corbucci yeah. or um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Lee Van Cleef was Corbett. Corbett. Yes. So, what's your question? When did they call him Colorado Corbett? Like Colorado when at any point Corbett. did they call him Colorado I, Corbett? I don't. I didn't see that in this movie. But that's how he's credited, which is weird. Oh, yeah, like, I have like, that in my notes. That's what, that, that's what I'm asking. Like, why? You know, was it just for the? Like, did I miss it? Like, it's entirely Ooh. possible. That I don't know. I, I have in my cast from uh, Wikipedia, Lee Van Cleef as Jonathan Colorado quote unquote Corbett. Of course, there's always the awesome. He's always the awesome Lee Van Cleef. That's what I wrote. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's interesting. I hmm. I, I'm gonna have to say that's probably something of the times. You know, if there were reviews of the film, maybe they the reviewers got information that the uh, regular films didn't, and they said, "Oh, he's Jonathan Colorado Corbett." You know. Yeah, I, maybe it's just you know, just to make him sound cooler in the credits. Well, and then you've got Manuel Cuchillo Sanchez. So uh, I'm going to have to say that's what that was, was it was the press material that called them. I don't remember him being called Manuel either. Like, right. I remember them calling him Cuchillo, and I remember calling him Cuchillo uh, Sanch- the Sanch- uh, Sanchez the Knife. Right. That's what Cuchillo means. And yeah, and Sanchez the Knife and Colorado Corbett, yeah. I, I'm going to have to say that was like press material because 
beyond that, you know, simply watching the films, no, you don't get that out of those films. Yeah, that's kind of weird, don't you think? It is really weird. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to have to say that's what that was. You know, I found some, uh, some, uh, what do you call them, uh, movie ads for this film. And they don't call him that in those movie ads. So that's interesting. But yeah, then, like even the, the trailers don't say anything? No, no. Yeah, kind of weird. Do they refer to him as a rascal? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I don't think I have rascal in my notes. So <laughs> I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's in, uh, it was in the, the Wikipedia plot summary. Hmm. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, they, what a rascal. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Cuchillo means knife in Spanish, which is the rascal's weapon of choice. Like, oh, All right, so here's a question. Do you remember Walt? Do you remember Walter Barnes, who played Broxton, as the dude in um, Escape to Witch Mountain? No. He's the one that takes the kids to the mountain. In the original 70s movie, not the one with The Rock. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew which one you meant. Yeah. Um, he was in High Plains Drifter, Every Which Way But Loose, Bronco Billy. So I think Clint Eastwood liked him. Um, he was on an episode of Mission Impossible. He was also in the movie Cahill, U.S. Marshal with John Wayne. He was in Pete's Dragon. He's like the main, you know, the old dude in Pete's Dragon. Oh, okay. That I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I've only seen Witch Mountain like once. Okay. Um, oh, and he's in one of my favorite Animals Gone Wild movie from the 70s. It's called Day of the Animals. Have you seen this movie, Pat? I've heard of it. Um, Dude. But I have not seen I it. I have a digital copy, and I will send it to you. It's fucking unbelievable. And Leslie I heard Nielsen's it's absolutely in it. bonkers. It's bonkers. And Leslie Nielsen's in it. He is crazy and scary in this movie. He is not the dude from airplane. I mean, this is like pre airplane. So, uh, all right. I- I'm going to hook you up with this movie because he's awesome in this movie. <laughs> I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> I think ashes, ashes will like it too. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but Neves Navarro played the widow, which I was kind of confused, but I guess She's a widow, so she had a ranch and these guys, and then, the, what, the husband dies, and she's, you know, the queen bee, and she gets to bang whichever one she wants on whatever day, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, she, do it, yeah, she again, she owns her sexuality. Like, she wants to get laid, so she gets laid. Like, she doesn't care. Yeah. Like, that's what she wants. That's what she wants to do. Like, she wants to, and she shows her power. She goes in, she bangs Cuchillo, and then... Has her dudes like absolutely whip the shit out of him. Right. And then she wants to bang Lee Van Cleef. And he's like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. And then she's out of it completely. So that right. whole scene where uh, um, he's in the house with her, Lee Van Cleef, and the bad guys are shooting at him. And he hits like one of the, he taps one of the um, the panes of glass and smashes it so he can shoot. Did that not remind you of Top Secret? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, I was like waiting for the tic-tac-toe. 
Yeah, it, it, I mean, there's obviously I don't know who's not like ripping off, but who's paying homage to whom? Right. Well, this was before that, so. Yeah. So yeah, there's always whenever there's like a classic thing, you know, there's always somebody that's gonna be like, "Oh, this sounds, this looks really cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that," and then they do it, and <laughs> yeah, like, "Oh, what is that from?" You know, like off air, we were talking about Ghostbusters, pay, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, paying yeah. uh, a lot of homage to the original films, right? Especially to uh, the late Harold Ramis's character, Egon yeah. Spen- Spengler. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, callbacks and homages to to him. So, oh my god. So yeah, so Neves Navarro, she w- I thought she was still pretty hot here. She did look a little long in the tooth in this one. Um, but then you got G- Gerard Herter, who played Varen von Schulzenberg uh, as Gerard Herter. Um, he's a German actor, although mm-hmm. he, his accent kept changing in this movie. I felt like like there were times where he was British and times where he was German. There was a lot of ADR done on this film because the yeah. speech did not match up with the uh, the uh, the lip movement. It was yes. very reminiscent of like you know dubbed you know Japanese films. Yes, yeah. Well, it was funny because I think fans watching or uh, listening to this would be interested to know that he was on a famous MST3K episode. Uh, that was called Secret Agent wah, wah, Super Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in the classic horror film Kaltiki, The Immortal Monster, which if you haven't seen that, that's a fucking fun film. It's, I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I may have to send that one to you too. <laughs> but that was really good. But uh, I liked him with the, mon- the monocle. It reminded me of the Monopoly Man. You know? Yes, Uncle Pennybags. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking of, um, uh, the, what's his name? Uh, the, oh, my God. Jim Carrey. Oh, uh, Fire Marshal Bill? No, Pet Detective. <laughs> oh, Ace Ventura. Yes. Where he's like, hey, I'm the Monopoly, I'm the Monopoly Man. But, yeah, that's what I kept thinking of. And, of course, we had Maria Granada, who played Rosita Sanchez. Um, She wasn't in this a ton, um, but she was in a bunch of Eurospy films, like Operation Atlantis, which is actually a fun film, if anyone can get their hands on it. Um, And she was also in uh, Salima's, the director Salima. She was in his film, oops, uh, Requiem for a Secret Agent. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we had Robert Camardiel, who played the sheriff, Jellicoe. Um, uh, we're going to see him again in future films. He was in For a Few Dollars More and Django, If You Kill, Live. I'm sorry. Django, Kill, If You Live, Shoot. Uh, he was also in Mr. Invisible. I'm sorry. Mr. Super Invisible with the, uh, the inimitable Dean Jones. I just want to throw something out sure. real fast. Um, Nieves Navarro, yes, uh, is still alive. She's 83. Oh, wow, just turned 83 uh, uh, in November. She, I know we're like, oh, she looked a little long in the tooth in this movie. Uh, she was 28. Really, she was, 28. She was born 1938. 
Wow. So she was 28 in 1966, so they must have made her up to look older. Okay. There's well, no way that she was because she was in A Pistol for Ringo, right, which was a year before. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and I don't I don't mean to mean she mean look she looked old, but yeah, okay, that makes sense. They had to like age her up and right. make her like she was a widow, like someone who had been married for a while. Like maybe she was supposed to be like in her forties, which at that point was like you might as well be dead, you know, like <laughs> you know, but uh yeah, so she uh Well, I'll put in a uh an inquiry and see if we can get her on the show. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be. That'd be so cool. Oh my god. So I don't want to uh, go on about too much of the actors cuz 90% of the murder in westerns that uh, we're probably going to cover at some point. Um but the last one I did want to mention was Angel Di Pozzo who played um Chet Miller in this movie. He was in a ton of westerns, spaghetti westerns. We're going to see him again definitely. Uh he was in a bunch of horror films too including Horror Express with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, one of my favorites, and Assignment Terror with Paul Nashi. So I don't think I've seen those. Oh, oh, you haven't seen Horror Express? I mean, Assignment Terror, I can forgive, but uh, Horror Express, you have to see. That was, oh my God, that's one I've seen as a kid. But um, I love this movie. I loved, you know what I loved is, like, just opening with the animated intro. I thought that was really cool. It with the and uh, the Marconi theme. I'll have to check it out. You haven't seen the intro to this movie that we're talking about. No, I, I, I'm talking about the other ones before. This. Oh sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, still, I, I'm definitely going to check those out. Like, sorry, I'm trying to like look at my notes and stuff and where I left off. <laughs> I lost, I lost track of what was going on. <laughs> oh, that's all right. You know what? And in fact, I, in fact, I skipped over someone. Um, we can't end the discussion without mentioning the great Fernando Sancho, who appears who, here as Captain Segura of the Mexican police. Who is playing a sort of good guy. Right. I was going to say that. <laughs> I mean, sort of like, like, oh, where you like, oh, all these, all these, this, uh, this rich Texans down here and all these guys are like causing trouble all over the town. Well, you should go where I'm going. Where are you going? To sleep. Because sleeping man doesn't see or hear anything. <laughs> and if I don't see or hear anything, I can't react to it. You know, I love that. I love that he's a lawman, but he's still slimy. You know, and we last saw him in Requiem for a Gringo. Um, so, I, Pat, I'm pretty sure I texted you. I was watching a black exploitation film on Tubi called uh, Voodoo Black Exorcist. And I, I think I texted you and said, oh, my God, Fernando Sancho showed up as a police detective. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of wacky. Um, <laughs> but, hey, you know, he's a good actor. Like, he's good at what he does. Like, it was just nice seeing him as, you know, a sleazy, clearly corrupt cop. Right. But, like, his, his whole thing was, like, I don't care what you – like, I hate his people. I hate your people. And whatever you guys do <laughs> to each other is just a okay with me. So fuck it, like do whatever you want. But I'm really lazy and corrupt, so don't cause any problems for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we get to his, because 
you can see how lazy and corrupt this dude actually is and how much he really doesn't want to do his job at all. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get there in a couple minutes. Cause it's like, how do you not notice this? Right. Uh, so yeah, go, uh, go ahead. You, you, you're, uh, you're on a roll. All right. Well, so we open the film, you know, um, Lee Van Cleef is talking to, um, Bre- uh, Brexter or Brockton, whatever the guy's name is. And he pulls out the poster of himself. Did you not think that was a wanted poster for like a split second? Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was a uh, a wanted poster. Yeah. Like as soon as I thought, like that's got to be a wanted poster. <laughs> exactly, but it turns out he's running for yeah. senate. <laughs> yeah, it's like I need you to get this here bad guy for me. There's a mint julep in it for you if you do it quickly. <laughs> right, and then the McCoy brothers show up stereotypical red-haired Irish guys, but they don't have Irish accents. I thought that was interesting. Oh, what, do you want them to have the matching accents? Like, the German guy was British half the time. Like <laughs> They couldn't find anybody Irish to do the ADR. <laughs> but the best quote was when, well, why should we send a 30-man posse when we got one man who can do the job? You know, and that, that like sets up, for me, that sets up the whole movie. It's like, yes, Lee Van Cleef, you don't need a 30-man posse. You've got Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, I mean, there was some... There was definitely some convenient shit that happened. Like, Lee Van Cleef has played off this entire film. Like, oh, this guy is so smart. Like, nobody can get the drop on him whatsoever. And, like... Five minutes in, Cuchillo's like, oh, no, you got bit by a snake. Oh, you better undo my... uh, my my things like and give me a gun or no give me a knife so i can suck the poison out of you yeah. quick give me a knife and it's like hey you better not try anything there sonny <laughs> it's like yes let me stick this scalding hot metal to your back and then take your gun it's like you're so dumb yeah what is wrong with you like yeah totally out of character well, and I mean, prior to that, you know, Lee Van Cleef thought he had him when the guy was getting a shave, and then he escaped and he hid behind the horse, which I thought was kind of cool, because he knew he wouldn't shoot the horse. Um, but it wasn't Cachello. But Lee Van Cleef stops and says, "Yeah, I'll take a shave." You know, <laughs> which I thought was great. I'm like, he's so good. He's gonna stop and get a shave and then go after the guy. And then he catches him, but it turns out it wasn't him. Ah, I got you. Oh, it's not you. Right. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll, we'll be getting to that. Because like, it seems like he knew, like, Cuchillo was, again, a lot smarter than he let on. So, like, a lot of the time, you're like, there's definitely something else going on here. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and then we get to see more of the stuff with Broxton and his his new son-in-law, who is, he is fucking dumb. Like, he sucks. But, like, we're also led to believe that, like, and here's a a nice racial double standard that we have to open up the film. Because it's like, we have Cachillo in the water and, like, calling to the young girl. You know, who is what, 12 or 13? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah why don't I come into the water and play oh, with that? Me? Was oh, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Super creepy. 
And it's like, oh, he's totally going to try and like have his way with this girl. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's just the white guy's wife. No big deal then. Oh, he's your fourth. Oh, she's your fourth wife. Oh, carry on. You know, but we don't want any brown people like, you know, messing with the, the young white girls. But, oh, it's you. You're oh, well, you're a religious man. You couldn't possibly do anything wrong. Carry on, sir. I'll well, be I'm going to my- say I didn't get that at all. Like when Lee Van Cleef said um, he was saving his daughter and he goes, oh, my daughter. No, that's my fourth wife. I I was shocked. I did not. I mean, yeah. All right. Mormons again. <laughs> right. I should have known. But, but did any I didn't know it in the movie was like that. Yeah, I, I I was like, oh my god, that's his daughter. And then when he said it, I was like, oh. But either way, it was still creepy when he was in the oh, water yeah. saying, Come in. Yeah. Oh no, no. It was absolutely like that was weird and creepy and I didn't like it, but they were just like, Oh, that's your wife. Oh, all right. Carry yeah. on. Yeah. Like he doesn't have an issue with that, but like I get that he thinks he's chasing down a rapist. Like, don't think I'm just glossing over that fact. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm just, you know, for anybody who might be listening, thinking like, oh, but, you know, it's like, yes. And you're definitely led to think that this dude is a weird, creepy dude who is, you know, about to do the same thing he's already been accused of doing. Right. You know, but I think that's the brilliance of this film is like, you're led to believe a certain, but, that's how Westerns are. This guy is going after the bad guy. Like this is kind of like a unicorn in the fact that the bad guy and the good guy, like who you're rooting for, you're rooting for him for the wrong reasons. Like there's always a double cross, but you never think it is, you know, cause it's usually like the bad guy and the good guy have to team up for something in the middle of the film. And one of them betrays the other. Right. But like, in this situation, it's like Corbett, who's, you know, you're led to believe is like this infallible, like bounty hunter. The whole time he's getting played for a chump. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, like, of so- course, he chases Cuchillo to the, uh, to the widow's house where she, she, you know, she takes him and then treats him like, like shit. Um, but then she ends up going from Queen B to pathetic. You know, where Lee Van Cleef pretty much kills everybody on the land and he's taken off and she's like, don't leave me, don't leave me. She was so pathetic. Yeah, uh, it was it was one of those things, again, like, you know, much like we talked about in the last film, like, that entire thing was just an excuse to throw uh, Nieves Navarro in the movie. Like, otherwise take that whole sequence out does it does it affect the film in one way or the other right like the, the poison only... thing with the last film that we saw right that's what i'm saying like the whole thing like it's just to pad the runtime and again this movie is 2 hours 2 hours long so when you have like this whole thing like there, there's no need for it like you know we already you know he has that that uh, cuchillo talks to him later and he's like oh you know you know, I helped you get out of that situation that I put you in. Like, you know, I could have killed you, but I helped you escape. And um, you didn't need that to show that Cuchillo wasn't a bad guy. Like when he uh, stabbed him with a cactus needle and made him think that the snake bit him. Right. In order to get the upper hand, he doesn't kill him. 
like that right there. Like I have everything I need to, uh, to kill you right now. I have the upper hand. I have your guns. Like I'm going to leave you here by yourself. Uh, I'm taking your horse. I'm taking your guns. I'm taking your water. Uh, good luck. I could kill you right now, but I'm going to leave you here. So you at least have a chance. Right. Um, you've just eaten, you've just, uh, you've just, you know, had some water, you know, where there's water nearby. So good luck. Good luck chasing me. I'm out of here. But I could have killed right now, which, which, and that's all you needed for, to show his honorability. Right. Right. Exactly. And that was a little more than Lee Van Cleef did to Giuliano Gemma in Day of Anger when he took his horse. Right. (laughs) You know. Oh, man. And they get to the monastery, and I thought that was great where Brother Smith and Wesson, who calls. Now, all right, so here's something I noticed that they didn't. uh, I think it was a mistake in the film. He calls Lee Van Cleef by name. He calls him Corbett. And I don't recall Lee Van Cleef introducing himself in that scene. So I thought for a split second, I thought he was going to catch Cachillo because Cachillo named him. But either didn't. that or like, you know, he's well known. Like Corbett's well known. I suppose. Yeah. Except at the beginning of the movie where like nobody knows, like those guys didn't know what he looked like. Right. Like, ah, Corbett. Corbett's chasing us, see? I don't know why they're like Brooklyn gangsters from the 30s. Right, like, right. Yeah, yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> I'd know that mug anywhere. <laughs> and like, he's standing right there and he's like, oh, we don't look kindly on outlaws. Take a look at that guy swinging from the tree. Ask him. <laughs> the whole time he thought you were behind us, you were in front of us. Concern it. Swinging from a tree. That must be Terrence Hill. <laughs> yeah. No, he has both his shoes on. No. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a, a like they made him seem like he was superhuman, but then like he got duped and like several times he was, he was as single minded as the Terminator. So when he catches up with them in Mexico, like they're in the, the, they're in the same jail cell and he starts beating the shit out of them. And then he's like, if you don't let me out, I'll scream repeatedly. Eee! So they put him <laughs> in the next cell, which is fucking dumb. Like, right. If these these cops are as crooked and as ruthless as they expect, it's like, all right, well, he'll just kill you, and then I'll have peace and quiet. They put him in the next cell, and he proceeds <laughs> to pull a knife out of the ceiling, and like, oh yeah, I hid that here when I was here last. Yeah, they didn't search me, so I just left it here because I knew I'd be back. And then like he just like chips away and like leaves, and then the other guy comes down, is like, all right, we're gonna let you out, and. Super out of character. Not only, you know, again, talk about how lazy Pancho, uh, Pancho, uh, Sancho's characters, Fernando Sancho's character is. Uh, I'm looking at the the list and it says Romano Pupo right above him. So I'm like, (laughs) Pancho, putting the, putting the two names together. Um, he goes, like, they ignore the fact that there's a knife sitting on a, a stool in the middle of a now-empty cell with a giant hole in the wall. Right. Like, somehow they don't notice that. And Lee Van Cleef, who has been spent every single second of this movie to the point where he nearly dies, knocks a dude out and steals his horse, <laughs> has been chasing him, just like, yeah, he's right outside. 
I'm being let out 10 seconds after he escapes. He's got like a 30 second head start. Yeah, I don't need to chase him. <laughs> what? That's true. What? Why are you? You've been single minded, like, again, <laughs> to the point of. Because that's how good he is. Yeah. The point of near death, you are pursuing this man. And then he's right there. He's 10 seconds ahead of you. Like, you are willing to try and take his knife and escape the way he did to chase after him. This is actually much quicker. And they're giving you all your shit back. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Kind of sleepy. Uh, grab some, grab some food. Grab a nap. I'll right. And in the morning, you know. Well, all right. So to your point, when I saw that scene, I felt like it was the same thing as the shaving scene. He's like, "Yeah, I'll take a shave first, and then I'll go get him." Like he's yeah, that like, confident in his skills that he'll catch him. Like, like, and that's the thing is, like, he's right there. I want to get him. I want to bring him and like extradite him. But it's like. Well, I got time to, you know, build a sugar skull because <laughs> I had time to, you know, build a sugar skull, get a shave, take a nap, you know, oh. shopping. <laughs> and, you know, that's one thing I love about Lee Van Cleef is he's not afraid to throw a kick in a fight. Yeah, that's uh, that's always different. Like yeah. anytime you see a cowboy kicking something that's not like hit spurs against a horse <laughs> oh man he did that quite a bit and then of course Broxton shows up at the end and uh, he wants Cuchillo dead and you know it was that point when he wanted Cuchillo dead that you know that well I thought I'm going to say for myself I thought oh he's the one Broxton's the one that killed the girl raped the, and killed the 12 year old girl um, yeah you know the old the old lady Macbeth. I think the lady doth protest too much. Yeah, yeah. And the, but then it was his son-in-law. When you found out it was the son-in-law, didn't he have those like freaky, pervy, creepy eyes? Like every time they showed him, I'm like, oh man, he's a fucking pervert. He's yeah, the one that did it. Weird. Yeah. Because we didn't yeah, really I, see him at the beginning. They didn't. Yeah, I think they purposely didn't show him. Yeah. Specifically for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the poor actor, I, I don't want to disparage the poor guy, but, you know, he had these pervy eyes. Like, when you looked at him, you're like, oh, he's the one. He totally fucking raped and killed that 12-year-old, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a fucking weirdo. That's what he is. You know, but there was a nice nod to the most dangerous game. Did you catch that? Yeah, oh, I want to hunt man. It's like... <laughs> really like that's like you're just throwing that out there i've been on every continent it's like i bet you didn't know i was a hunter and knew about bullets it's like bullets were more common than currency back in, in the day like, <laughs> that's what everything was like everything you know like that that's how they would like if they had tvs that's how they'd turn their tv on by shooting it like come on like Oh, that candle needs to be blown out. Well, I've got my pistol handy. Bang. Oh, I shot the candle. Like, <laughs> like that's everything they did involves their guns and duels. And, oh, we had a disagreement. 
should we fight about it? No, let's just shoot each other. Like that's all the what that's why it's called the Wild West because that's all it was was everybody shooting everybody else. Right. Although it's funny that now that you mention it, and I kind of forgot about this in the last one when we talked about the last film, uh, the Shaw Brothers film, where the chick pulls out the half candle or not even it, like it was like a quarter candle and puts it on the other thing. I remember going, why is she doing that? And of course, the bad guy comes in and he's like, oh, don't light the unlighted candle. That's a trick. Light the lighted candle over there. And of course, that killed the, the brother and sister there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, is this there's definitely not a trick with this one. Right. <laughs> like maybe don't light any of the candles or if you do, like figure something out. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to say about this movie that we're talking about that, you know, the the battle at the end was great. I thought it was overall, you know, very satisfying. Although afterwards I kept expecting Lee Van Cleef to apologize to Cachillo, but he didn't he didn't, but there was a moment where he started to, and Cachilla was like, uh, don't say anything. I understand. And I, yeah. I thought that was great. I mean, I get it, because you can't make Lee Van Cleef look like he's weak. Right. But it's like, hey, sorry I put you through all that bullshit. Because, I mean, if you think about it, like, everything that he put Cachillo through, like, I mean... Cuchillo got laid, you know, everything worked out for him. <laughs> like, like he didn't have to cross the desert on a, like by foot. <laughs> That's a good point. But you know, and though, and he didn't have to do it. Like I was expecting him to say it, and he was about to, and Cuchillo just was like, eh, "No, I understand. Don't. You don't have to." So I kind of like that. Yeah, because it's like, ah, you know, you were you were just doing, you know, you're just a dumb American. You didn't know any better. Right. But that whole fucking end fight was just so good. I mean, there were so many good elements to that. Again, in a comparison to the Shaw Brothers films, it was like, it was the ending that you needed for this film. Yeah, I, I, I liked the fact that they just... Uh, I mean, they were still riding off into the sunset, so, well, you know, yeah. but riding off onto it, you know, over the dunes. But I like how they, they're like, well, I'm going this way. I'm going this way. And then they both go in the exact same direction. It's like, <laughs> it's like, all right, just one more dune. No, you said that three dunes ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but even before that with the fight and then um, uh, the bad guy, Ends up getting shot, although he's like so far away. I'm trying to remember now what his name is. I can't remember. Oh, Broxton? Yes. Yeah, Broxton. He's like, aha, I'm up on this hill. You can't get me with your pistol. And then Cachillo's like, you want you want the rifle? Absolutely. And then he shoots <laughs> him with the rifle. Because he's just, and again, Lee Van Cleef, you know, this is the cliche thing nowadays is the the guy not looking back at the explosion that happens behind right. him. Yes. Lee Van Cleef just standing there is like this guy shooting at him and like the bullets striking all over the place. Yeah. It was so good though. You know, it was just one of those ones that one of those moments where you were just happy to get that moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But so I thought this was, this was good. Like I like this. This wasn't, 
this wasn't Lee Van Cleef's typical role because he's generally like just again like Bronson, the unstoppable badass. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, final thoughts on the big gun down. Uh, I hate the name. I hate the title. Stupid. <laughs> um, um, but I really enjoyed the film. I thought Cuchillo was uh, very well played by Tomas Millian. Uh, I thought he was the best character in the entire thing, even though he was annoying and crude. But like, that's what he was supposed to be. Like, you weren't supposed to realize like how good he was. The tonal opposite of Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love this movie. I had seen this before, but I didn't remember it. I think a lot of these films are going to encounter that I have seen, but I didn't remember. I, of course, I love Lee Van Cleef. Um, I think you're right. You know, Thomas Melian was was the tonal opposite of Lee Van Cleef, but I think that was on purpose. I think he was supposed to be, you know, um, not... Well, I guess he was the good guy, but he was sort of the anti-good guy because you didn't know he was the good guy at the beginning. Um, it, but it was just fun to see Lee Van Cleef in a uh, a good guy role rather than a bad guy or an anti-hero, which we've seen. Um, I thought this movie was engaging from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, yeah, we saw a lot of spaghetti western tropes in this movie that we used to seeing, but I didn't care. I loved it. Um, I did feel that I thought, um, from the beginning, I was kind of worried about Cuchillo. I thought he was, uh, the bad guy first, and then I thought he was innocent, but then there was a moment where I wasn't sure. So that's one thing I love about this movie is it kept me guessing. I wasn't really sure if Cuchillo was the good guy or the bad guy. You know, it was pretty clear that Lee Van Cleef was the good guy, and the others you only saw them at the beginning and then at the end. So between all that, it was wondering whether or not Cuchillo was good, but they threw a lot of clues out that made you realize, yeah, maybe he's not the bad guy. You know, maybe he didn't kill that kid. The thing that I, I was thinking, uh, as I, as I go through and I'm remembering how I was, was watching this was, Maybe they were like, oh, yeah, it's this guy. It's Cuchillo. It's Cuchillo. It's Cuchillo. It's Cuchillo. And it's like, it wasn't him. It was a different guy. But, you know, all the white people are super racist in this time. And it was like, oh, the Mexican did it or the Indian did it. Or, you know, and like, it's like any Mexican will do. Like, oh, well, we saw this guy do it. And it's like, oh, it wasn't him. You know, like the guy that, uh, what's his name? Lee Van Cleef runs down and kills. It's like, well, he shouldn't have run away, and I wouldn't have shot him. Like, he should have just explained <laughs> what happened. It's like, uh, he looks like him, but it's like, oh, yeah, like he looks like him. He's like, no, he doesn't look like him. It's like, oh, he's, he's wearing a brown shirt. It's like, right? Oh, <laughs> and that's when he took the shave, and he was yes. like, oh yeah, I don't have to waste time. I'll, I'll get him. Right. He was like, yeah, this is no problem. So would you say, on that level, this film was sort of ahead of its time in terms of, you know, making it seem like the Mexican was the bad guy, but it turned out he wasn't? Yeah, like, you know, in in pretty much every Western, um, 
you know who the bad guy is. Like it's abundantly clear. It's overtly obvious. Like it's you're being beat over the head with I'm the bad guy. Look at my black hat and black shirt and black pants and black horse and my sinister looking spurs. And, you know, everything is black and, you know, he kills people indiscriminately. But like in this, it's, you know, I know the term gets overused today, but subverting your expectations. Right. Right. I agree 100%. And I think we're going to find that a lot more in these spaghetti westerns that um, uh, not, maybe not so much with the Shaw Brothers films, but we're going to find out that, you know, the people we think are the bad guys or they try to set up as the bad guys are maybe not the bad guys in these films. So, uh, folks, that is all the time we have for The East Meets the West today. So you can check out more episodes as well as our sister show, our sister show, I can't speak today, uh, Then Is Now podcast, in which we discuss all the cool stuff that you may have missed out on. Uh, You can visit us at our website, havenpodcast.com. And please be sure to click on our Patreon and TeePublic links for some exclusive content. And folks, don't forget the East Meets the West is also part of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So don't forget to check out all the great shows there. There's about 40 and it's always growing at the Dorkening Podcast Network.com. You can find me at uh, throwdownthursdaypodcast.com. Uh, Throwdown Thursday every, uh, every Thursday with uh, my wife, Ashes Von Nightmare, as we give you all the characters you love and love to hate. Uh, you can find us on our Facebook group, as well as the Loudest Sports Show, where we uh, haven't been doing a whole lot on that, but we do continue to uh, post updates and whatnot. Uh, and uh, you can find me here uh, on occasion with uh, Rigor talking about spaghetti westerns and uh, Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films. And please send us your thoughts on today's episode to the East Meets the West 42 at gmail.com. You can check out our website at havenpodcasts.com where you can find out our sister show, Then Is Now, where we discuss all the cool stuff you may have missed out on and stuff that you should know. And don't forget to check out our East Meets the West YouTube page at youtube.com slash user slash death one and you'll find all our podcasts plus other fun stuff there. And be sure not only to hit the subscribe button, but hit that little bell so that you can get uh, warned or notified, <laughs> not warned. Well, warned. Warned is the right word. All right, warned. <laughs> when we put out all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> and tell your friends and get them to subscribe as well. And please go to wherever you download your podcast and leave us a great review so more people can find the show. That's right, folks. And join us again on our next, next I cannot talk today. And join us again on our next episode of The East meets the West. The East meets the West is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. All clips played on the show are property of their copyright holders. All other material is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.